Good morning. My name is Reggie Stanley. I'm an elder here at Christ Community Church, and I'll be reading the word for us this morning. It comes from us from the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, from chapter 9, and be verses 51 through 62. You can find that on page 868 in the Pew Bible. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Now when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone asked him, Someone said to him, I will follow you whenever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's good to be back at Christ Community Church today um, to reiterate a few things that Paul said. Uh, This was my church during college. and it was um, an incredible experience for me to be at this church while I was in college. In fact, it changed my life. Um, so many people here reached out to me and invested in me. And I had no desire to be a pastor. I had no desire to go to a seminary. Um, but because of the transforming work of God's Word under the preaching of Paul Phillips, I changed uh, the trajectory of my life. Um, and so it is indeed uh, just a wonderful experience to be back here today. And as you can tell, I'm nervous. This is the first time that I've preached, but I'm looking forward to preaching the word to you. Um, you're going to want to have your Bibles open to Luke 9, as we will be going through that today. We are all on a journey Each of us here today is on a specific journey going towards a specific destination, looking for a prize to claim. High school students are journeying towards college. College students are journeying towards a degree. After college, we embark on a journey towards success in a career, possibly a family. However, after we finish those micro journeys, we often wonder what the ultimate journey is about. Who are we to follow? What is our ultimate goal? In today's passage, we'll be looking at the journey of Christ to Jerusalem. On the journey to Jerusalem, Jesus teaches the disciples about the journey of discipleship. We're going to see that following Christ is a difficult task, and it requires our all. The text today is Luke 9, 51 through 62. The Gospel of Luke has three distinct sections. Chapter 9, verse 51 is the beginning of the second section. The second section chronicles the journey of Christ 
from Galilee to Jerusalem. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus teaches his followers the way of discipleship through the journey itself. The journey motif was something that was familiar to the people of the Old Testament and the people during the time of Christ. Jews in Galilee usually made one journey a year to Jerusalem for Passover. And when they made this journey, all Jews, wherever they were, would tell the great story of the journey of the Exodus when their ancestors traveled from Egypt to the Promised Land. Jesus is embarking on a similar journey here, but it's much bigger than the original Exodus. You see, the first Exodus was merely a type or a prefiguring of the ultimate Exodus in which Jesus departs from this world to the heavenly Jerusalem. So today we're going to be looking at the journey of Christ and the journey of discipleship. I want to highlight three things about the journey of discipleship. One, the journey of discipleship requires that the disciple be rejected. Two, discipleship requires the disciple to forgive and have mercy. Three, discipleship requires unconditional commitment to Christ. That being said, let's go ahead and look at the passage starting in verse 51. When the days were near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people do not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Even though Jesus was journeying to Jerusalem, it wasn't his ultimate destination. The phrase taken up in verse 51 is a reference to his ascension where he assumes his throne, his throne as king over all creation. In one sense, Jerusalem is his destination, but his ultimate destination is the heavenly Jerusalem. Luke is emphasizing the great exodus of Christ from this world and his ascension to the Father. In fact, the climax of Luke's gospel is not the death of Christ, nor is it his resurrection, but it's his ascension. A few months ago, I asked a group of high school students this question. What is the ultimate destination in the journey of life? I received a, a myriad of answers. Uh, some were good, some were bad. But most of them said that they were journeying towards security or a good job or a good college or, or just that they were, they were looking for the rest in the here and now. But I always have one student that answers correctly. And the one that said, answered correctly said this, Heaven is my destination. I want to be with God. You see, Jesus was able to commit himself to Jerusalem because he could see the glory that lied behind the suffering and humiliation of the cross. He had hope that extended beyond this world. He had his mind on the things that are above. He was not consumed with the treasures of this world, but the next. And now that Christ has his ultimate destination set, he can fulfill his mission on earth, and that mission is to die for the sins of the world. Verse 51 says that he set his face towards Jerusalem. The phrase denotes determination. It's also an allusion to the suffering servant in Isaiah 50, verse 7. It says this, Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. You see, Jesus had an unswerving commitment to our redemption. He had an unswerving commitment to the will of the Father. 
nothing was going to stop him from marching to the cross. In verses 51 through 53, we see that Samaria is the first stop for Jesus and his disciples on their journey to Jerusalem. At that time, there was a good bit of conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race contaminated by foreign blood and false worship. They were fiercely competitive with the Jews over the proper place to worship. They felt that Gezerim was the proper place to worship. It's a mountain in the district of Samaria, whereas the Jews were adamant about worshiping in Jerusalem. The Samaritans reject Jesus because of their bigotry and their religious vanity. All they knew was that Jesus was going to Jerusalem, and they weren't going to have anything to do with that. However, the important thing to note here isn't the response to the Samaritans, but rather the important thing to note is that the journey of discipleship will require rejection. Jesus knew that the Samaritans would not embrace his presence, yet he intentionally makes his first stop on his way to Jerusalem the most hostile place for a Jew to be. Samaria. Why? Why would Jesus intentionally send his disciples to make preparations for him at a place where he knew they wouldn't be accepted? He did this because he was trying to show the disciples a taste of what was to come. Jesus was showing the disciples at a very early stage in the journey of discipleship that it's going to require rejection. Christ is saying, if you follow me, the world is going to hate you. If you follow me, the world is going to reject you. If you follow me, life's going to get much harder. Yeah, today I think we have a misconception about the nature of the Christian life. I think many of us think that once we become Christians, our lives are going to become much easier and that all our problems are going to go away. But biblically speaking, nothing could be further from the truth. Our lives do get better when we become Christians, but they don't get easier. And the more we grow in our faith, the harder it's going to get. Rejection and humiliation is just part and parcel of discipleship. The second thing the journey of discipleship requires is mercy and forgiveness. Let's look at verses 54 through 56. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. After the Samaritans reject Jesus, James and John were outraged. It wasn't hard for them to cultivate hate against the Samaritans, given the fact that they were taught to hate these people ever since they were children. They were ready to call down fire from heaven and consume them. Much like Elijah did in 2 Kings when he called fire down from heaven on the messengers of the king of Israel. Yet Christ rebukes the disciples for their desire to judge the Samaritans. The difference between Elijah and the disciples is that Elijah was concerned with God's glory. James and John were not. James and John were preoccupied with their own reputation. They were concerned with their own glory. So here we see the second lesson in discipleship. Not only will we be rejected if we follow Christ, but we're also called to forgive and have mercy on those that reject us and the gospel. You see, as Christians, 
We don't have the license to be a people that says one strike and you're out because our Lord and Savior is not. Our God is a God of patience and long-suffering. 2 Peter 3.9 speaks of God's patience towards us. It says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. James and John were quick to judge and condemn. They were more concerned with saving face than saving souls. There are so many people out there that are curious about the Christian faith. They're curious about Christ, but often they're turned away because of those that claim to know Christ. Mahatma Gandhi is one of the most respected leaders in modern history. Although Gandhi was a Hindu, he had a lot of interest in Jesus and and his teachings. Once when the missionary E. Stanley Jones met with Gandhi, he asked him, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his follower? Gandhi replied, Oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Apparently, Gandhi's rejection of Christianity came out of an incident that happened to him when he was practicing law in uh, South Africa. He had become interested in Jesus, he had become interested in the Bible, and he explored actually becoming a Christian. And so he uh, decided to attend his church service. And when he walked up the steps, a white elder barred his way and used a racial slur in his direction. He told Gandhi that he wasn't welcome, and that if he didn't leave, he was going to throw him down the steps. Are we much different today? How do we respond to those that reject the gospel initially? Do you reach out to the homosexual community? Or do you condemn them to hell already? Do you have compassion on the woman who just had an abortion? Or do you blackball her? When a, family, when a family member or friend wrongs you, do you seek for reconciliation? Or do you hold a grudge? Do you pray for Muslims? Or do you ask for fire to come down from heaven and consume them? The journey of discipleship requires that we forgive and display mercy to those that reject us. The third thing that the journey of discipleship requires is unconditional commitment to Christ. Let's look at verses 57 through 62. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit 
for the kingdom of God. Jesus here has three brief and unsettling conversations with potential disciples. They are attracted to the way of discipleship. They want to go on the journey with Christ. Yet Christ, interestingly enough, doesn't pat them on the back, nor does he tell them to walk an aisle. Rather, he tells them to count the cost. The first potential disciple promises that he will follow Jesus wherever he goes. But Jesus perceives that this man is too quick to commit. He challenges challenges the authenticity of this man's commitment. by giving him a somewhat bleak description of his own lifestyle. Though Jesus is the Son of God, he has come to this earth in the form of a servant, and this means for him the loss of a normative family life and earthly possessions. You see, Jesus isn't looking for casual buddies, but rather he is looking for disciples that are willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel. It might be easy to assume that if we merely imitate Jesus' physical circumstances, that that will make us a true follower. You might think that if you embrace poverty and renounce marriage, that you'll be a more authentic disciple. But this simply isn't true. Jesus affirms family life and home ownership. However, Jesus wants us to be willing to give up anything and everything if he calls us to. The point is this, folks. When the king comes to call, we need to be ready to follow unconditionally. No strings attached. With the first man, Jesus emphasized the willingness to give up material possessions and comfort for the kingdom of God. These next two examples might be a little bit more, a little bit more difficult for us to swallow here. The second and third individuals want to follow Christ, but make this conditional on first attending to family duties. The second man wants to bury his father before journeying with Christ. In Jewish culture, family responsibilities superseded all other loyalties. This man would be considered a neglectful and bad son if he did not properly put his father to rest. But Jesus challenges this sacred ritual and reveals to the man that no other duty or relationship comes before kingdom priorities. Jesus repeats this lesson in Luke 14.26. says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Obviously, we're not supposed to hate our family, or anyone for that matter. But family loyalties, as important as they are, as biblical as they are, they are still subsumed under the priorities of the kingdom. Nothing should take precedence over following Christ. The third man requests that he go and bid farewell to his family before he follows Christ. Seems like a reasonable request. But Christ detects an unwillingness in this man to relinquish all his filial ties and start a new life of discipleship. Jesus illustrates this man's reluctance to follow by comparing him to a farmer who keeps looking behind him as he plows ahead. The result is a crooked furrow that is useless for sowing crops. And hence, he is not fit for serving in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is insistent that we have all of our family ties subordinate to kingdom priorities. 
These potential followers are blinded by their idols. Their idols are their, their idols are their earthly loyalties. Jesus is trying to get their attention. He's trying to break them from their enslavement. It's as if he's coming up to them and saying, Wake up! Look at me! Look at me! Set your face on me! I'm the way! I'm the truth! I'm the life! I'm going to fulfill all your needs. Put your trust in me. And I'll take you on an incredible journey. An epic journey. I'll take you home. I'll take you home. For those of you that know me well, you know that I'm very close to my family. My family's here today. And it's hard for me to think of an attachment or a loyalty that's stronger than the one that I have with them. After studying this passage a few times, I had to ask myself this question. Do I treasure my family more than Christ? I'd like to stand up here today and tell you that following Christ takes precedence in my life every day. But that just isn't true. So Christ Community Church, let me ask you this question today. What do you treasure more than Christ? What keeps you from following Jesus? Is it a spouse? Is it a child? Is it comfort? Is it security? Is it money? Nothing, and I mean Nothing should take precedence over following Christ. Discipleship is a long and tumultuous journey. It requires a lot. It requires every ounce of our soul. But remember this, Jesus Christ has already blazed the trail. He's the ultimate disciple. And he set his face like a flint towards the cross for you and me. And he died. And he rose again and he ascended to the Father and he accomplished his exodus. And vicariously accomplished ours. And now, and now for those of us that have put our trust in Christ, don't look back but forward. Set your face on Jesus Christ and Him alone. And He'll take you on a new journey to a new Jerusalem. A heavenly Jerusalem. And there we will rule and reign with God Almighty for all of eternity. Now that is a journey worth taking. Let's pray.
Lord, I come before you today and thank you for your son Jesus. Who journeyed to the cross on our behalf. Lord, I pray that each and every person here today would set their face on Jesus Christ and follow Him unconditionally. Lord, I ask this in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen.